So here, starting in John chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. And so Jesus is going from one part to to another. I turned uh, Australian for a second there. And on his way, uh, he had to go through Samaria. And so we've been talking about kind of these prejudices that a lot of the Jewish people had at this time. And one of them was they did not interact with Samaritans. You know, Samaria was the northern kingdom, Israel, and they had different practices over time, over centuries, different uh, what really uh, turned out to be kind of a different law code. And the Jewish people uh, thought was a different religion. So they avoided Samaria and Samaritan people at all costs. So but Jesus has to go through Samaria to get to um, the next place. So he goes to a town called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, verse 6. So Jesus was wearied, and as, as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water from the well. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. So it's just Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well, and Jesus starts a conversation with her. He says, give me a drink. So the Samaritan woman right now, she's a a bit perplexed. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? So there's multiple levels of what Jesus is doing here. Uh, He is, first of all, he's alone, a rabbi talking to a woman uh, at at a well. You are not supposed to do this. Uh, Men and women did not interact like this. If men did interact like this with a woman, you would assume that he was flirting with her or he wanted something from her. And so the woman is, her, her first thing is just, what are you doing talking to me? I'm a woman and I'm a woman from Samaria. We are, you don't like us and you're not supposed to talk to me. So what is going on here? It says, for the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living Water. So Jesus, as always, turns this conversation upside down. Sharp right turn. Didn't expect that to happen. The woman says to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So really, you know, the woman looks around the well and she doesn't see a bucket for Jesus to draw from. It's not like Jesus is going to jump inside the well. He won't be able to get out to get the water. And so here he is. He's offering her living water. And then she goes, well, you don't even have a a bucket to get water. So first of all, what are you talking about? Second of all, if you think you have better water than the water than I'm about to draw from, then are you trying to say that you are better than Jacob? Now, if you don't know who Jacob is, a lot of times in the Bible, the God of Israel is referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob is the father who gets his name changed to Israel and has 12 sons who become the tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. And so Jacob is one of the patriarchs. He is one of the guys that is 
you know, just right under God level, almost worshipped by the Jewish people. And so if Jesus was telling this woman that he had better water than Jacob had to give her that has been giving water for generations, and she was saying, well, are you trying to say that you are greater than Jacob, the one who built this well? Everybody knew that was basically blasphemous to try to claim to be better than him. So Jesus answers and says to her, verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus begins to explain what the water that he offers is, is eternal life. And the woman says to him, as at this point, I don't know if she was just still trying to figure this out. You know, if someone tells you this, you're probably thinking this, this guy's a little bit crazy. But I don't know if you're like me, when somebody calls my house uh, and they're a telemarketer or they're obviously a scam, I like to play with them a little bit. You know, I like to see how much time of yours can I waste? And so sometimes I just keep them on the last scam that I had. Uh, somebody, he goes, sir, there's a virus on your computer. Can you tell me what kind of computer you have? I was like, oh, this guy should know what kind of computer if he knows I have a virus app. So I was like, oh, I didn't realize. Thank you for telling me. I have, you know, I have a Mac. And he was like, okay, this is what you need to do. You know, 20 minutes later, he realizes that uh, he, he is being scammed. The scammer is being scammed. <laughs> Uh, but I just wanted to see, what is this guy's pitch? You know, what is he trying to say? At the end of it, he starts cursing me out. I hang up on him. <laughs> he calls me back to curse at me again. I'm enjoying this. I hang up. He calls me back, starts cursing at three times. He called me back to curse me out. He was really mad. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I saved somebody from being scammed with that 20 minutes of yours that I wasted. So I think the Samaritan woman is just kind of playing this game with the crazy man right now. You have water that is eternal life? Okay, sir, she says, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come drink any more water. So then Jesus takes another right turn. He just, he loves doing this. And he said to her, why don't you uh, go call your husband and come here? So the woman answers him, says, I have no husband. Jesus says to her, you're right in saying you have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman says to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Like, duh. <laughs> we have Sherlock Holmes over here talking with Jesus. So, right, she, he's, she says, give me this eternal water, this eternal life, this water that I will never thirst again. And then Jesus is like, all right, I'm going to give you a little taste of what this water looks like and starts telling this lady about her life. And so she's at this point, she's like, OK, maybe he's not crazy. Maybe maybe my thoughts about it, maybe this isn't a scam after all. She says, I think this I'm, I'm among greatness right now. I'm. I have a prophet in front of me. And she continues, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And so she's a, about to ask him a question. I said before, Samaria and, and, and the Jewish people, Israel, they, they, they had this fight in Judea around religion, right? The Jewish people worshipped at the temple. The Samaritans worshipped on the mountain. They had different places to go 
to worship. And so Samaritan woman, her question now, she has a religious question. She sees he's a prophet. He obviously has spiritual authority. So now she's going to test him a bit further. What is true? Have I been following the right way? Have the Samaritans been doing this right where we worship? Or has it been the Jewish people that have been doing it right? And so she says, our fathers have worshiped on this mountain. The Samaritans worship here. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And so Jesus says to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. So he says, listen, in a little while, it's not going to matter whether you're on a mountain or whether you're in Jerusalem, you will be able to worship him wherever you are. And then he says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. So Jesus also doesn't let her leave confused. You've had it wrong. The Jewish people have had it right. It is in Jerusalem. It's not on this mountain. But don't worry about that because in a little while it won't matter where you're worshiping. And then he says, but the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So he lays a little bit more knowledge on her. And then the woman says to him, she has more spiritual questions. Like I said, very similar to the Jewish people. They are waiting for the Messiah. She says, I know that the Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you. Am he? So she says, we're waiting for this Messiah and he's going to know everything that you're talking about, where we worship, when the time, spirit and truth, what, uh, you know, this kind of mysticism that you're talking about. Messiah is coming. He's going to reveal to us everything. We will know who is right. And he says, guess what? That person that you're waiting for, the Messiah, the Christ, that's me. Just then, as he's finishing his conversation, the disciples came back and the disciples marveled. Whoa. What is Jesus doing? That he was talking to a woman and no one said, what do you seek? Right. Because they're thinking Jesus talking to a woman. Is he trying to get a girl? Jesus trying to get married. Like you think she was pretty. Like what's going on here? Jesus was single, y'all. So these disciples, they were thinking maybe Jesus is trying to get married right now. Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. So this woman, she leaves and she goes to the town and she starts telling everybody, I think I may have found the Messiah. I think this guy could possibly be the Christ. Well, you guys got to you got to come see this. And so while she's going out and getting everything, Jesus has a sidebar with the disciples. So meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And I love the disciples because, you know, they're trying. You got to love them. They're always trying because Jesus says this and they start looking at one another and they're thinking, did you get him food? Did you did you get Did we leave anything for him? I thought he didn't have it. I thought that was why we went shopping was so that we can actually pick up food because there was nothing to eat around here. So what's happening? So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? 
right? They're just, they're just so clueless so many times. I love it because a lot of times when I'm reading some things that Jesus says or when I'm reading the Bible, I'm clueless. And I don't feel so alone when I read, the, you know, read about the disciples. Like, okay, these guys were with Jesus every single day for years and still we're pretty clueless up until the very end. It's great. So don't feel bad if you have felt like that a lot of times reading scripture. So Jesus answers and he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. I'm going to stop there for a second before I finish. So Jesus is saying, listen, guys, I have food that you guys don't know about. Do you know that this is what fills me up? This is what I love. This is what feeds me. What I'm doing right now is sharing the good news. We read about Jesus's statement in the synagogue on the kind of the right at the beginning of his ministry before he goes into the wilderness. He says, I have come to preach, proclaim the good news, to set the captives free, to heal the blind, to make the lame walk. This is what I've come to do. And so here he is doing this, proclaiming the good news, and he is feeling fed. He is feeling good. You ever just be with some people, hang out, and you have a a great time, and you just feel full afterwards. You know, you forget about your hunger. You forget about being thirsty. You just realize, like, man, I just hung out with people for a few hours, and I'm good. And that's how Jesus is feeling. Then he takes this food metaphor to another level. And he says, you know what? If you look up, the fields are white for harvest. That means that the wheat was ready to be plucked. It was ready to be plucked. And when it does get plucked, the, the, the reaper and the sower, the people that are working in the harvest, when the harvest is taken in, what are they going to do? They are going to rejoice. We have been talking about this theme in this series about being on mission, that repentance, what does it look like? What does it look like when somebody gives their life to God, when somebody is found that is lost? Celebration, rejoicing. In heaven, there is rejoicing. Repentance is followed by joy and celebration and and praise and adoration of God. And so he says, when they bring in the harvest, when these people come to know Jesus, what is going to happen? There is going to be rejoicing. And this is great. He keeps on talking about these same things over and over and over again. And he says, for here the saying holds true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. And saying, man, you may have not planted these seeds in people's hearts. You may have not been the one that had shared the good news with somebody, but you, the, it has grown and it is ready to be harvested. It is ready To be taken in, they are ready to receive Jesus. And you can go and reap this harvest. And you will be able to rejoice. The one who sowed and the one who reaps. So after this sidebar with his disciples, you know, the town starts rushing in to hear. This woman just came and she said, oh, this guy has told me everything about my life. Could this be the Messiah? Well, who have we been waiting for for centuries and centuries 
has he finally come, who the prophets of old have talked about, have prophesied about. In verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did, she said. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. He's not even supposed to like Samaritans. He's not even supposed to interact with Samaritans. He, but yet, what does he do? He stays with them for a couple days. He hangs out with them. And in verse 41, it says, And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So this town, they come, they hear the word of this woman, and they come to their own conclusions. And so what, there's a few things that we need to get from this story that I want us to understand. You know, last week we talked a lot about prejudice and how that stops us from really being friends with people and ultimately stops us from reaping the harvest with everyone and how we can't have that and what that looks like in our life. And so Jesus, again, breaks walls of prejudice by sitting down with a woman of Samaria. But really, the thing that strikes me today that I want to talk about is the power of this woman's testimony. The power of this woman's testimony. See, Many followers of Jesus do not realize the power in their story. That's the truth. You know, if you in some form or fashion have encountered Jesus in some way, you have a story to tell somebody. And a lot of times in the church, we don't realize that there is power in our story of what Jesus has done in our life. You know, many times we look at our past and we look at it with shame. And we think in the church that our past is something to look at like that with guilt, with shame, and with condemnation. We want to forget those things that we've done with everything in our power. Many times we don't want to remember them. We bottle them up. We block them from our sight. You know, maybe there was abuse in your history. And, and, and you can't fathom to remember that kind of thing. And so you put it away because there's shame and, and there's condemnation in that. And you, you don't talk about that. Maybe there was addiction in your history. And, 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 and those are days that you don't want other people to know about because you've had people judge you. And when you've told them about your previous addictions, maybe you thought, maybe they look at me different now. Maybe, they, maybe they're, they're going to be cautious around me when I hang out now. And so we throw those things aside. We put them away. Maybe you were a liar. Maybe you were a thief. And you don't want people questioning everything that you've said to them, every, everything that you're going to say. And so you put those things away. And a lot of times what we do, we're, we're conditioned to think our past, we have to put it away. And that is our shame. And we only can look forward now and pretend like our past does not exist. And that, what that does is it robs us of the power of a story that we can share with others. So instead of allowing our past to bring glory to God by telling others about it, we lock it up. It goes in a box, it goes into the nether regions of our hearts and of our soul and our mind, and we say, no one is ever opening Pandora's box again. Because when we open that thing, we know all of the, the, the sickness of that, all of the wounds of that, all of the scars of that, we feel will come back. 
Think of this woman, the Samaritan woman. Here she was with a past. This woman had been divorced five times. Now, a lot of people want to blame the woman for this, but really, you could not get divorced back then unless the man wanted to get divorced. Unless the husband said, I'm going, woman had no power to divorce their husband. So women, that means that she was thrown aside by five different men. I don't know, you know, the Bible doesn't explain why. There could have been something that was annoying about her, just something that the, the guys didn't like. You know, so maybe there was an imperfection about her that other men had looked in this and said, you know what, I don't want you anymore. And every time that she had gotten close enough with a man, they had rejected her and they had thrown her away. And then with the guy that she was with now, right, this guy didn't even want to marry her that she was with. She was with him in an adulterous affair, living with him, which back then was punishable by death. And Jesus reveals this to her, says, listen, I know about your life. I know about the five husbands. I know about the man that you're with now. But her story of how Jesus saves her now becomes a tool that can bring others to believe in him. In verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. We have to believe that in our story is the power of the gospel. Of what Jesus has done in your life. That there will be other people that hear your story and they will begin to believe in Jesus because of it. And so instead of hiding our life, instead of being ashamed of it, instead of locking it away in the nether regions of our life, there's something that is interesting that I believe that we are called to do as Christians, and that is to be proud of it. Be proud of all that God has brought you through. Now, I love stories of God's goodness towards people. Because many times I hear stories and sometimes even reflect on my own story. And and really what it brings me to is a reflection of the goodness of God. I should not be where I am today. Right? If we think about our stories and we think about God's goodness and what he has done to us. If we think about where we've been and who we were and what we have done. It's really a a reflection of how little we deserve where we are today. Right. Many of us should have been a statistic. Right. You have grown up in this type of neighborhood with this time of parental guidance and this type of schooling and this type of economic situation. Guess what? You should have ended up here. But look at what Jesus has done and where you have ended up now. And what I'm I'm praying for God to do is to free us of the shame of our past so we can open up our mouths because guess what? There are other people going through the same situation that you've been through. Do you know that you are not alone in what you have gone through? The biggest, one of the biggest lies of the enemy is to to keep you alone. Right? And and to thinking I'm the only one 
that had this kind of childhood. I'm the only one that had this kind of parents or lack of parents. I'm the only one that went through it in this way. I'm the only one that suffered this type of abuse or or suffered this type of addiction. I'm the only one. And so we hide that and we lock it up. But really what we need to realize is that we are in a broken world and we are not alone in the suffering and the pain that we have gone through. And a lot of people's freedom from their past is locked up in your testimony of God's freedom with you. See, other people are struggling with these same things, with these same anxieties, with these same depression, with these same things. And when you share what God has done in your life, it gives others hope of what God can do in their life. And I like to think of sharing our testimony in a diagram. Um, I don't have a, a whiteboard or a slide for you anymore, but visually think with me for a second. Uh, where you think the beginning of your life, your pre-Jesus days. If you want to know, how do, I, how do I share my story? How do I share my testimony? Think of pre-Jesus days. My pre-Jesus days were supposedly with Jesus days. So there's a story in that as well. <laughs> So think of your pre-Jesus days and what you were like. What, what was the things that caught you? What were the things that you did? What were the things that you, you, you may be ashamed of? Even if you weren't the reason that they happened, that somebody else did those things to you, but you're still ashamed that it happened. Think of the pre-Jesus days. And then when you're sharing your testimony, you think of this. And then there's that. There's a kind of like an A.D. and B.C. moment in your life when Jesus as Savior and Lord has entered in to your life. And you tell, what was that experience like? Was it a moment where you just felt the presence of God and you followed him? Or was it over a period of time of being a part of the community of believers and experiencing Jesus through people, other people's testimony, other people's words, and then coming to a time where you decided to follow him? And then think of the post-Jesus days. And share, what has it been like? What is the goodness of God in your life? What has it been like? And and maybe not everything is changed in the pre-Jesus, in the post-Jesus, but you're working it out. Now you have joy in the pain, right? Now you have joy in the sorrow. Now you have a comforter that comes when you call on him. Now you have a friend that sticks closer than a brother, right? Now you have somebody that walks through this with you and what it's like to go through life with a family, a cloud of witnesses, scripture says, and a savior, Lord, father and lover with you. And you are not alone. And so when you do that, it unlocks the power of the good news, because what you're doing is you are sharing the good news to somebody. You are sharing the good news of Jesus and what he's done in your life. With somebody, and I, I think of my own testimony, right? These are, these are words that either I used to describe myself or were used by others to describe me. Perverted, dumb, insecure, procrastinator. When I think of my childhood, these are four words that stuck with me that became my identity. Things that I just thought was part of who I was. This is, this is who Justin is. And then I, I, I decided, you know what? You know, and part of my story is a long struggle with God because I grew up in a Christian home uh, to uh, atheism and then to moving away. Before I had a gap year before college where I decided I want to see if God is real. And I went on a one-year journey to experience God. 
And, and my salvation story is a, wrapped up a lot in that one year journey of just going away to experience God for myself. Um, and in going away, I remember little by little as the identity markers of myself began to change. I still remember the first time I was, I was maybe in Ohio for five months, I believe. Uh, and somebody came up to me and said, Justin, you are one of the most responsible people I ever met. And it was so funny because I was like, is there another Justin? Is there another? Is there somebody else that is here? Because you're not talking about me. I am a procrastinator, right? I, I never get I I don't remember the last time I did all my homework for one class. Like, I just don't remember when that happened. Uh, and I remember that moment was a big moment in my life because God was changed something in my heart and I hadn't even noticed that something that was my identity marker now became something different. I remember I was the perverted kid in class, like that annoying kid that always had a perverted joke for everything. That was me. That was I, I was that annoying guy in the class. And I, I remember God changing my heart to look at women as sisters. And I remember there are a couple of defining moments that happened in my life when I realized how I treat another single woman was I was treating potentially another man's wife. And so how would I want another man to treat my potential wife? Would I want them to be perverted and say perverted things to them and do perverted? No. I would want them to treat them or her with respect, even though I, at this point, I never even met Heather. But God was changing something. If I had a daughter, how would I want somebody to treat my daughter? How would I want someone to talk to her and, and act towards her and, and, and live around her? Would I want them to live and act and treat and talk the way that I was doing? No. And so my, my speech began to change. My actions began to change. My thought patterns began to change, right? God was changing me to be respectful instead of being perverted, right? I, I remember always thinking that I was dumb, right? I had a 70-something average in high school. Uh, I had flunked out of algebra three semesters in a row, um, and all of this, all of these thoughts came to me and said, Justin, you are not smart. You're, you're never going to be smart. There's always the smart crew in class, and you're not one of them. Right? A lot of that is the system that we make in public schools today where we just say these are the smart people and these are the dumb people. And unfortunately, I was, well, I was in the dumb crowd. And I just thought, I'm dumb. I'm on the dumb track. This is, this is who I am. And I remember it was my first semester in college. We were in calculus class and somebody came up to me and asked me for help on the homework. And I just looked at her. I was like, why are you asking me for help on calculus homework? And she was like, what do you mean? You're one of the smartest kids in class. And I was just like, huh? Who told you that? She was like, everybody knows. You're one of the smart kids. <laughs> what are you talking about? Right? I went on to become a finance major and love calculus and love right, all of these things with numbers that you do in finance. But something happened that I didn't even realize. God was changing my identity. That when I got closer to him, what the devil wanted my identity to be, what people wanted my identity to be, God said, actually, it's the exact opposite of who I have called you to be. 
So in my story, the good news is, is I'm not dumb. I am not perverted. I am not insecure. I am not a procrastinator. procrastinator. Actually, I am respectful, smart, confident, and responsible. And that is who God has called me to be. And I remember meeting up with somebody, one of my, my best friend's moms. I hung out. Uh, I was hanging out with her when I got back uh, from when I was a freshman in college. And she looked at me and she said, Justin, I've known you most of your life. And I feel like I'm meeting a different person right now. Like, I don't know who you are. You just seem so different. And it looks amazing. Tell me what happened. And I got to share the gospel with one of my best friend's moms right there because I just said, Jesus, you know, like I was, you know, I wasn't that Pentecostal. I actually told her what happened, but that is basically (laughs) what I was telling her. And I was another one of those, but God! Because in my story, God did that in me. Nobody else did that. Nobody can take credit for that. I didn't do that. Nobody came and said, Justin, you're going to be this, 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 and that. I didn't go through a mentorship program for that. I didn't go through a uh, step program. I didn't do something for that. God came in and changed who I was. And nobody can take that story from me. Nobody can take that experience from me. Nobody can say Jesus didn't do that because, honey, I got a different story for you. Jesus did that. And so we as people, we can't hide in our story because we're hiding the good news of Jesus in our life. There may be things that, man, this is hard to share. Find someone you trust and begin to share. Because I'm telling you, even if they're a Christian, even if they've known the Lord longer than you and your story, they're going to experience the good news and renewal of the good news in their life. You will be preaching to them. You will not even know it. We cannot hide the things that God has done in our life. Because the things that he's done in us, let me tell you, he wants to do in other people. I'm not the only kid that grew up dumb. Oh, that thought he did. (laughs) And is actually smart. I'm not the only one. I'm not the only perverted kid that has hope for their life. I'm not the only procrastinator that actually knows how to get somewhere on time now. Like, I'm not the only one. And in my story, the good news of Jesus is there. And in the good news of Jesus is the power unto salvation. Unto experiencing God. And somebody will experience hope through the story that you share with them. See, what I love in verse 42 is people went from believing in her story to believing in him. See, people are going to go from believing in your story to believing in Jesus. In verse 42, it says, They came to the woman and said, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Sometimes what happens is you talk to somebody and they come to know Jesus and they only came based off of somebody else's word. But really what happens is I don't don't think someone is actually ever fully converted until they go off the word of Jesus himself and have an experience with him. See, you have to just be able to say for yourself, I know indeed he is the savior of the world, as this town was able to say. I know for myself 
He is the savior of the world. I, I can't go off of the pastor's word. If you're living off the pastor's word, guess what? It, it's it's going to end at some point. The pastor's word is not going to follow with you, follow with you to your bed and to your job and to your home and, and to all the painful. Sur- it's not going to follow you. If you're going off Stephen Furtick's word, if you're going off Tim Keller's word, guess what? It's not going to follow you there. You can't go off somebody else's word. You can't go off your leader's word. You have to come to a point that says, I know this. I have experienced the goodness of God. I know that Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. I have been overcome with his forgiveness. So your goal in sharing your story is not building a posse obsessed with your word, but it's to grow people to experience God and his goodness for themselves. And if you think you need a theological degree to make this happen, you're wrong. Right? No professionals allowed. The Samaritan woman did not have the right religious training. She was a Samaritan. Her whole thought on where to worship was wrong. She did not have the right gender. She was a woman and women weren't allowed to give witness or testimony to anything back then. She did not have the right past. She was an adulterer in the eyes of the law. She was not trained in Bible school. She was not paid to preach. She had nothing on the checklist. Yet what did God use her to do? She brought her whole town to Jesus. You know, that's basically the equivalent of your block. A town back then. What would it look like if God used us to bring our block to Jesus? What would it look like if God used us to bring people in our circles, in our towns, in our neighborhood to Jesus because we share a story? Could it be that I have found the Savior of the world? Could it be that I have seen the Lord? Come and see. I love that invitation in Scripture. We find it all throughout Scripture. Come and see. You got to see this for yourself. Come and see. I think about it like this. When you go see a good movie, what do you do? You become a movie televangelist. That's what you do. (laughs) You tell everybody, yo, you got to see this movie with me. Some people will actually take you, watch it again with you because they love that movie so good. Right? Nobody has to, you don't go to movie seminary school to learn to witness about how great this movie is. I want you to understand the logic that we put ourselves through that. We need to go to seminary to tell somebody about a good thing. And that's not true. All we need to do is experience that good thing and tell everybody what we've experienced. And that good news is going to be the power unto their salvation. We've read this scripture before, but I'm going to read it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. It says, Paul says this, And when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest 
in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Sometimes we have been trying so hard to be wise when we talk to somebody that we've kept our mouths shut or we've seen no fruit. And it's because we've been relying in the wisdom of men instead of the power of God. And God is just saying, let the power come from me. Don't worry about being powerful. Just open up your mouth and share the good news of what I have done. And you will see the power come. You will see the fruit. And what will you do? You will be building up treasure. You will be building up an eternal life, treasures to take with you. He says to his disciples as the Samaritan woman goes away. Paul understood this. He came with a message and a testimony that had power of how Jesus met him on the road, blinded him, and then sent him to somebody to receive healing. And he was able to say, Lord, I will follow you after that moment. Paul knew he couldn't follow Christ based off of somebody else's words. He says that again, that I came with a testimony of God that nobody else had to tell me about. But because I experienced Jesus for myself, when I went and talked to the apostles, everything that we said lined up with one another because I experienced the same Jesus that they experienced. The Samaritan woman was not a professional. 99.9999% of our church is not professionals. But guess what? You have a story to tell far and wide. Don't worry about being polished. Don't worry about what you've done. Worry about doing the one thing that God has asked you to do. Open your mouth. Worry about sharing your story. I wonder to myself, will our church be a church of professionals with human wisdom and human wisdom seekers and sharers? Or will we be a weak, unprofessional army that knows how to do our job? Open our mouths. I pray that, Father, that we would not get this twisted in a way that says that I don't have the good news stored up in me to share to others, but that I would be a person that lays aside every excuse at the altar, lays aside everything that has stopped me from saying and sharing the good news and sharing my testimony with others. And that I would open my mouth as you've called me. Just as this Samaritan woman has done. She went and told her whole town. And they came. And Lord, if they believe in me, great. But Father, I pray that they would begin to experience you. So that they can believe in you for themselves. Church, we don't need an amazing story. I mean, I'm a pastor's kid. Nobody wants to hear a pastor's kid story. That's what I used to tell myself. Everybody has an excuse. Right? I, I wasn't an addict. You know, I, I was a virgin until I got married. You think all this perfect things about you but guess what I am a broken human and God came